as I began to pray this week about what God would um, have me share with you today, um, I started thinking about this last year or two. Uh, the Lord has put me in kind of a unique place. I went from being a pastor of a church to working in a Christian bookstore. Um, at first, I struggled with that a lot. Okay, I still struggle with it at times. Um, but it was really interesting to me because what I found out really quickly is that you can be a pastor anywhere you are. And one of the things that's happened this last few years is I've had the opportunity to work with a bunch of 20 and 30-year-olds. And it's taken some time to build relationships with them. But as I've had an opportunity to build relationships with them, two questions keep coming from them. First off, what is God's will for my life? Which I immediately say I have no clue because I don't. Um, The other question always comes up is, how am I supposed to live my Christian life? And that's an easy question because I think that's answered for us in Scripture. So as I thought about it this week and I thought about this concept of of what I was going to preach on, uh, one morning I woke up and was doing my devotions, and my devotions were on being salt and light. And I thought, okay, Lord, if that's where we're going to head, that's where we're going to head. So today I want to talk to you about this concept of being salt and light. If you've been in church any amount of time, you've probably heard this concept that you are the salt and you are the light. So it's nothing really surprising for us, but are we really? And as our world gets darker, which it is, how does our light shine? So today I want to take some time and I want to look at this concept of of being salt and light um, because I believe that's what we are called to be. I believe that if the church is going to make a difference in the world that we live in today, it's going to be directly because we are so different and our light shines and we flavor the world that we live in today. I often think about the early church and what made the early church so substantial and so different. And you know, when you read it in there, they had some great preaching. Can you imagine sitting under Peter and listening to Peter preach? That had to be amazing. But one of the things that I've learned as I've gone through and I've studied the early church is the early church had all things in common. They looked out for each other. They took care of the needs of their community, like the care portal. And as a result of that, People flocked to them. Their lives made a difference. And as I thought about it this week, I was thinking, you know, every day people are watching you and I. Every day, especially if they know we're Christians, they want to know, are you really different? Do you really stand out? Do you really live what you talk about? As I was preparing this week, I found this little story. It's a story about a minister who was making a wooden trellis to support a climbing vine. And as he was pounding away, he noticed that a little boy was watching him. The youngster didn't say a word, so the preacher kept on working, thinking the lad would leave, but he just didn't. Pleased at the thought that maybe his work was being admired by this little boy, the pastor finally said, Are you trying to pick up some pointers on gardening? And the little boy replied, No, I'm just waiting to hear what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. That's the reality of our lives. We may not realize it. We may not understand it. But every day, people are watching us. As a high school youth pastor, I used to tell my kids, we were just going into high school for the first time. I said, the first day of school, find the biggest, the boldest Christian t-shirt you can find and wear it. Because it sets the tone. You are now, they're on notice that you're light, right? 
Of course, if you don't want to live that way, please don't wear the t-shirt, I would tell them. But before we get into this particular passage a little bit, I want to talk to you a little bit about the background. This passage is found in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is probably one of the most well-known sermons that Jesus preached. The first verses are all about our attitude and our relationship with God. When you get to verse 13 through 16, which we're going to talk about today, it's about our relationship with the people around us, especially those who are not believers. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to that passage in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. Let me read that for us. It says this, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your Heavenly Father. Let's take a moment and pray. Father God, as we look at this passage today, I pray that you'd work in each of our hearts, that you'd help us to realize, Lord God, that we indeed are salt, and we indeed are light, and that's what you've called us to be. And Lord God, that we will live our lives in such a way that When people see us, they don't really see us. They just see you. We pray that each day we will have the opportunity to glorify you, to touch lives for you, to make a difference in the dark world that we live in. So, Father, we just uh, thank you and we praise you for this time to be here today. And, Lord God, pray that you would guide the words and lay them upon our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's talk a little bit about this concept before we really get into this passage. First off, understand when Jesus talked about the salt and light, this was a common metaphor in those days. Now, if you're like me, you think of salt that comes in a little blue container that's in your cupboard. We think of it as a condiment, you know, you kind of sprinkle it on things, you know. Those are all good things. But in those days, salt was totally different. Salt, in fact, was considered to be more worth, excuse me, worth more than gold was. In fact, Roman soldiers were actually paid in salt. That's where the term comes, he's worth his salt, or he's not worth his salt. But that's where that term came from. Salt was an extremely valuable commodity. But one of the problems with salt in those days is that salt oftentimes was found on rocks around the Dead Sea or in other places like that, and so it wasn't pure. And because it wasn't pure it oftentimes would lose its saltiness. And at that point in time, it wasn't good for anything but to be thrown out. And even in Israel today, they continue to throw salt that's lost its saltiness on the pathways, which makes the pathways nice and hard and makes it an easy place to walk. So when we think about salt today, we don't give it much credence. It's kind of like, yeah, it makes my food taste a little better. But we don't consider it to be of any value. But in Jesus' day, when he talks about being salt of the earth, we have to understand this was a big deal. And everyone around him would understand immediately the value of the salt. Same thing with the light. When he talks about the concept of light, you know, we are kind of spoiled. You walk into a room, you flip on the light, and the light comes on, and we all go like, oh, there's light. 
when I was a young man, I remember going back to Arkansas on a vacation, and my Aunt Flossie uh, had just got, yes, I really had an Aunt Flossie. Um, she actually had just gotten running water into her house that week. So here we are, we're two teenage kids. My, son, my brother and I were two teenage kids from California, and, and, you know, I mean, for us, I mean, you walk into a house, and you turn on the water faucet, you get water, it's not a big deal. We arrive at her house, and the first thing she does is, come and see, come and see, come and see. And she walks us into the kitchen, and she goes up to the sink, and she turns on the water. And she's got smiling, you know, and we're going like, okay, you've got water. To her, it was a big deal, because she had never had running water in her house before. To us, eh, you know, not a big deal. But salt and the concept of light was really important to these people. In Israel in these days, they would have lived in a one-room house. Over on one side probably would have been a kitchen area and an area to sit, and the other side would have been your bedding and a place to sleep. And when night fell, they couldn't go in and flip on a switch. So they would light a lamp. And they would take that lamp and they would put it on a lampstand high so it would light up that entire room. Light to them was very important. Today, like Saul, we kind of take it for granted. We don't think it's a big deal. Unless we have a power outage. And then we're scrambling to find those flashlights. We're not sure where we put them. So understand that this were common metaphors at that particular point in time. Also, as we get into this, I want you to understand, this is part of our identity, who we are. Jesus didn't say, when you get to be older, you will be salt and light. He didn't say, you know, when you get your college degree, you will become salt and light. He says, you are the salt and the light. Which means as we sit here today in this room, you are a salt and light. Now think about that for a moment. Are you salt and light? Oh, no, I'm meddling in that a little bit, so I'll move on. So let's take a look at salt a little bit. Understand that salt is kind of a hidden thing. We don't see it. When you put it into food, you really don't see it there. It's kind of, that's why I call it a, a hidden influence. Um, but it sure makes your food taste better, doesn't it? So even though we can't see salt, and even though salt seems to be that uh, hidden influence, um, Salt has its characteristics. First off, it gives taste. There's nothing like a bland food. And you put a little bit of salt on it, it gives you that little flavor. And that's what we're called to be. We are called to bring taste to this world that we live in today. As Christians, Jesus says, basically, you are the salt. You bring flavor to this world that we live in today. Now, how do we bring flavor to our world today? By the way we live, the way we treat people, the way we act around other people. When people look at you, is there anything different about you? George Barna has done multiple studies in the last few years, and one thing he's found out is that Christians really aren't any different than the rest of the world. We have the same divorce rates. We have the same pregnancy out of marriage rates. We have, you know, all the way down the line. I and mean, literally, it's a list. 
So when people look at us, do we make a difference? Do they see anything different with us? Do we bring flavor? We should. The other thing about salt, salt is a preservative. Now, you have to remember, today we don't think much about this, but in the old days, they didn't have refrigerators. And so if you wanted to preserve something like meat, you took salt and you mixed it in with meat. You just didn't pour it on the top of the meat. You actually kneaded it into the meat as a preservative, and it would preserve the meat. And I believe that we as believers are called to be preservatives to the world that we live in today. Think about that for a moment. Is our world getting lighter or darker? Are morals out there today? If I, as a believer, am called to be salt and light, then part of what I'm doing in this world today is preserve the moral beliefs that are out there today. And that means sometimes I have to take a stand that will be unpopular with people around me. And you know, it's really interesting because two, four, two small things are used in Scripture, the concept of salt and the concept of yeast. And yeast is bad and, and salt is considered to be good. And we're considered to be salt. And so we need to preserve the world that we live in today. That's why we fight so hard for things like hating racism, like abortion. We need to preserve the moral value of the society that we live in today. And it's going, slipping away quickly. Changes that used to take 30 to 40 years are now taking 5 to 10 years or shorter. And if we don't preserve the moral standard, who will? And what happens to the next generation? So Christ's followers are to be a moral preservative in the world that we live in today. And interesting about salt also, the third thing is it actually creates thirst. Have you ever had a really, really salty food? What's your first reaction? You're immediately going out there and grabbing some water. There's an old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink unless you give him enough salt. And he'll want to drink. So here we live in this world today, and we are called to produce a thirst in the world that we live in today. One of the characteristics of the early church is people looked at them and saw, I believe, that they had all things in common. They took care of their needs, such as the care portal. That is such a great idea. Think about that for a moment. We have the opportunity to reach in and help families in need. Do you think that will make them wonder why we're doing what we're doing? Do you think maybe that could create a little bit of a thirst in their lives? And that's what we're called to do. We're called to create a thirst. When people see us, we're supposed to be so different that people want to know, why are you different? Years ago, uh, Joe Aldridge came out with a book called Lifestyle Evangelism. always loved that book because I don't believe I was actually called to be an evangelist. But I can live my life in such a way that people are curious about what makes me different. When everybody around me is going nuts and going crazy over things, and I'm calm and I'm together, people will wonder, well, why are you like that? Why don't you lose it like everybody else does? Why don't you sweat all the little things? 
And that gives me a great opportunity to sit down and share my faith and share about my Lord and what gives me the confidence and gives me the peace that I have. So we're created thirst in the world that we live in today. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, When we treat people with gentleness and respect, they will be more apt to listen to our message. So salt is a very important commodity in, the, in those days, as it is today. And that's why when Jesus said this, even though we may not understand it totally, and even though we may not totally understand the importance in those days, and that's why I think the background and the culture is so important in Scripture, it was very, very important for people to understand that you had to be salt, and salt was important. It was worth a lot. So we're called to be the salt of the earth. It's an imperative. It's a command. It's not an option. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, A flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which tries to hide itself has ceased to follow him. One of the things that I'm seeing in the United States and in North America as a whole is churches are starting to pull within themselves. They're becoming fortresses for the believers. I actually was in a church in Canada that I worked in, and I had a believer tell me, he says, we don't want them in here when they're sick and they're hurting. We want them to get saved out there, get cleaned up, and then brought into the church. Because, see, we don't want the church dirty and smelly. and you know. Really? And so I looked at him and says, I handed him my Bible and says, show me that in Scripture. Because it doesn't matter what he thinks. It doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God thinks. So the church is called to be, I think, like an emergency room. We want the sick. We want the hurting. We want those people to come on in so we can take care of those needs. We want to be able to meet, their, meet that need. Even in our community, you know, if we could meet the needs of the people in our community, do you think they would desire to come to church? I think so. So, as salt is an invisible influence, light, on the other hand, is a visible influence. A few years ago, I was flying back from a business trip from back in Boston. And as I was flying across the United States, I was looking out the right-hand window of the airplane, and I saw this really, really bright light out in the distance. And I thought, what is that? And as we got closer, the light got brighter and brighter. And finally, we were somewhere over Kansas or Missouri or something like that, and the uh, pilot comes on and says, oh, by the way, you may be wondering what those bright lights out the right-hand side of your airplane is. That's Las Vegas. From Kansas and Missouri, you can see Las Vegas at night because the light is so bright. Light is a visible influence, and that's what we are called to be. We are called to be a visible influence. And all the way through Scripture... It's talked about the concept of light. Jesus is the light of the world. And on and on and on and on. But let's take a look at light a little bit. Some things that light does. Number one, it dispels darkness. One of my favorite services always was a candlelight service at Christmas. I love the imagery of it. And at the end of the service, everyone would have a candle. And somebody up front would light that first candle. And all of a sudden, the light begins to disappear. And then they would light the candle next to him, and who would light the candle next to him. And pretty soon, the entire room is lit, and it's bright. 
See, because light dispels darkness. Darkness cannot exist where light exists. And so the moment you walk into a room, you try this tonight, turn off all your lights, walk into the room, flip on the light, what happens? The darkness goes away. And so part of the qualities of light is that it dispels darkness. Jesus came to get rid of darkness. Jesus calls us to continue the process of dispelling the darkness, getting rid of the darkness. Boy, what does that say for the communities we live in and the world that we live in today? They're pretty dark, aren't they? Can you imagine what would happen with a care portal if all of a sudden you have somebody who's not a believer, who's really struggling, and then somebody comes alongside of them like that teenage boy, and somebody came alongside him and says, let, let, us, let us take care of you. Let us provide for you. Not only that, but light reveals what's there. I spent a lot of time as a camp director in the mountains, and I loved the mountains. And I loved walking around at night without any of the flashlights because it's just something about it, you know. Um, but I have to be honest with you, a few times I've been a little freaked by noises in the bushes and stuff because there's bears and stuff around. But, but, you know, the interesting thing I found with a flashlight, the moment I turn on my flashlight, I know exactly what's there. I can see all the rocks in front of me. I'm not going to trip over them. I used to get up in the middle of the night sometimes and head off uh, to check out around the camp, make sure all my kids were secure. And every so often, because I walk around without lights, um, I would trip over something. If I was smart, which I got to be as I got, did this a little longer, I started carrying a flashlight. So if I was walking in certain places, I knew I had to have a light. Because it reveals what's there. In our world today, if we are truly that light, it can reveal what's around us. It reveals the evil. It reveals the darkness. It also reveals the qualities, good qualities that you see in people. So think about that for a moment. Are you a light that reveals what's around you? Another thing about light goes along the same concept, is it really does allow you to see what's going on around you and allow other people to see. When that light is just, when the darkness is dispelled, people around you can actually see through the darkness and they can actually see the light. Think about a lighthouse. You're a sailor, you're on the sea, you're lost, or you're heading towards the shore and you're not sure what kind of rocks are there, and all of a sudden you see that lighthouse. Is that comforting? So light does comfort us at the same time. So you may be sitting there saying, that's really easy to say. It's really easy for you to sit there and say, yeah, we're supposed to be salt and we're supposed to be light. But the reality is it's a lot harder to live than it is. So how do we make this practical? Well, here's three things I want to share with you for practicality. Number one, um, to make something saltier, to make something brighter, we need to unleash its high potency. Salt has to be salty in order to be potent. Light has to be bright in order to light up a room. Applied to us, we need to be different from the objects we want to influence. We can't be bland salt or dull light if we want to impact other people. One of the problems, I believe, with the church in North America is we're so much like the world that we live in today People have a hard time seeing the salt and the light. 
So we need to stand out. We need to be different. We need to be bright. We need to be salty. The other thing we have to do is we have to live in close proximity. When I say that, here's what I believe. For the church to isolate itself, for, the, for Christians to hide, you know, pull inside of themselves without reaching to the communities they live in, um, should never happen. How do you reach people who are sinful? Jesus didn't sit in the tabernacle all day. He went where the tax collectors were. He was around where the prostitutes were. He was out in the normal square where people were. Sometimes I think that I've kind of lived a weird life because I've always been in a church or now I'm in a Christian bookstore. And although I have opportunities to reach people, it's not like being sometimes out there. Sometimes I call it the real world, but it's not really. But, you know, that kind of concept. Wherever God puts us, we are around people who need Jesus. And we need to be willing to be the people who are willing to reach them for Jesus, to be that salt and to be that light in our community. Whether you're retired and you're at the senior community center, whether you're at work, whether you're in the grocery store, every day of our lives we have the opportunity to rub elbows with people. And God has put us there to reach them for Jesus Christ. And I love the concept they were just talking about where all the churches in the community are starting to work together. That's what we're called to be. We're called to be the body of Christ, not the bridges of Christ, not the grove of Christ. We're the body of Christ. And when the body of Christ joins together, we can accomplish so much more. For way too many years, I think we've divided ourselves into all these little communities. You know, we have the Baptists and the Southern Baptists and the First Baptists and the Second Baptists. Really? What happened to the body of Christ? Maybe we ought to do away with denominations. Oh, that's controversial. I better stop there. But we need to practice what I call rich density. We've got all the churches. If all the churches would get together, what kind of an impact could we make on the world that we live in today? Wouldn't that be amazing? Could you see that? Maybe like the Easter sunrise service where multiple churches get together to plan and to put it together. What would that look like in Riverside? Or on May 4th when all the, when all the churches come together to pray for our community. This last election cycle, I believe one of the things that really influenced this election cycle was the fact that Billy Graham went from state to state, from state house to house, and ran prayer meetings and times of prayer with individuals. And it wasn't oh, all the First Baptists could come to this one or all the Southern Baptists could come to this one. It was all the believers joined together, and they all prayed. And when my people will humble themselves and pray, then I can renew their land. A young boy about nine years old went with his parents to Europe one summer. As he visited many churches, he saw the massive stained glass portraits of the disciples. When he returned to his Sunday school, his teacher said, what did you like most about your trip? And his teacher then asked, oh, excuse me, he thought for a moment and he said, I love the awesomeness of who God must be. His teacher then asked for his definition of someone who follows Christ. As his mind went back to those massive stained glass windows, he said, a Christian is a person 
the light shines through. Isn't that true? That's exactly what we're called to be, the people that light shines through. A few weeks ago, we had an elders retreat. And at the elders retreat, one of the questions I asked, if Bridges disappeared from this community tomorrow, would anybody know we were gone? Would anyone miss us? And I think that question pertains to us also. If you disappeared tomorrow, would anybody know you were gone? Would anyone miss you? If you're truly being salt and light in the community that you live in, I believe the answer would be yes. If you're not, there's something to think about. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you so much for your love and for your blessings. Lord, I pray, starting with me, that you'd help me to be salt and light in the community that I live in, in the life of the people I come into contact with. Lord God, you have not asked us to do this. You have told us this is who we're supposed to be. This is part of our identity, Lord. We are the salt and we are the light to the world. Lord, help us to make the difference in the lives of the people we touch each day. Help us, Lord God, to understand that part of our responsibility is to invest our lives into other people, to help them clearly not see us, but to see you. So, Lord, we lift this day to you. We pray that you'll help us to to be what you've asked us to be. We ask this in your name. Amen.